Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and go to Hebrews chapter number two. Hebrews chapter number two. Good to have Brother Yeager here. We've been praying for you, Brother Yeager, and had the service of his dear wife yesterday. And uh, Miss Sue uh, Yeager touched a lot of lives, touched a lot of lives. And, and so uh, thank God for her example and Brother Yeager's example as well. And so keep praying for them, if you would. Good to have Brother Sam here. He's been traveling about, and Miss Sandy's been here, and he's been out. And so I'm glad that he's, uh, God's blessed his travels. And so looking forward to fellowship as they're home. So that's always a blessing. Okay, Hebrews chapter number two. We're in a new series here. This is sermon number four in uh, Hebrews. And uh, the series title, we've given it this, Fulfilled in Christ. Only place you're going to find fulfillment is in him. It's in him. And, um, and then also all the old Testament pointing forward, everything that was written there was fulfilled in Christ. And so, uh, we serve a great savior. Uh, so I'm excited about preaching here today. So let's look at chapter two now in verse number one, and we're going to deal with the very first section of exhortation. He's been teaching, uh, instructing, explaining, but the Bible is given not just for information, but transformation. And so that's what we're looking at now in verse number one. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time, we should let them what? Slip. Okay, we should let them slip. You ever let something slip from your mind and such? Some of that comes with age, as I'm discovering. And it's, uh, it's related to that, but it's a little bit different here in the text. We'll see as we get into it. Okay, so he says, take more earnest heed, give more earnest heed lest we should let these things slip for. And he explains the reasons as to why that we ought to take more earnest heed for if the word spoken by angels, which we've been dealing with in chapter one, for the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just or deserved a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first, he says, began to be spoken by who? The by the Lord. Remember chapter one and verse one and two, God who at sundry times and divers manners spake in times past by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. So he says here, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which for at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Those eyewitnesses that were there. God also, verse four, bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. Did you notice that it said bearing them witness? The idea is it's not going on. 
the signs, wonders, and gifts of the Holy Ghost, the speaking in tongues, and all, it ceased because we have the scriptures. That's what he's saying in verse number four. According to his own will. Okay. We're going to focus primarily on verse number one that we ought to take the more earnest heed, give the more earnest heed. This would be a real good day to listen in church. Since he said so, every day is, but this would be a real good day to give more earnest heed. And so the title of the message this morning is this, The Danger of Drifting with the Currents of Culture. The Danger of Drifting with the Currents of Culture. May God bless the reading of his word. As you're seated, let's do give the more earnest heed. I'd like to begin today with two personal experiences with drifting. Uh, as maybe is even coming to your mind, where drifting would be a nautical term, boat drifting, not anchored. Certainly is. In fact, there's, there's good, um, good reason to think that that's exactly what the writer here, who I'm believing to be Paul, uh, exactly what he had in mind. And there's a couple nautical terms that are used here. There's one actually, a major one that's used later in chapter six and verse 19, which anchor we have is an anchor to the soul, steadfast and sure. So he's using some terminology there that they would be able to relate with and identify these nautical terms. So I haven't spent a lot of time on water. I do enjoy being on water. I enjoy canoeing. Uh, as a teenager, my dad had a scanoo and, and uh, similar to a canoe, but a little bit more f flat bottom and, and uh, the back was uh, flat, not rounded. And so anyways, I did a little bit of canoeing there. So I, I enjoyed that. Well, uh, right before we moved here, uh, I believe it was, or maybe we'd already moved here. And then we went back for a little vacation that somebody gave us in uh, Dora, Missouri. Now, I would imagine you, most of you don't know where Dora, Missouri is, southern Missouri, but it's, it's right there on the North Fork River. Does that help anybody? Okay, yep, a few. All right, good. So it is a very fast-flowing river, and someone gave us a, a couple nights to stay in a, in a cabin that was actually, it's like a treehouse, super neat place, River of Life cabin, something like that. Uh, River of Life Farms in Dora, Missouri. I'm not sure if it's still in operation. It was really a blessing then. So here's the deal. Uh, you could either pay, uh, forget the amount, $40 or so, something like that, $50. And they would take you by bus upstream and drop you out about six miles upstream. And then you could float back to the cabin area. Or half price. You could just take the canoe right there where you are at the cabin and just float around there. Well, being cheap. That's what we did. Tyler was very young at this point. I'm, I'm thinking that he was maybe four years old. So uh, anyways, I guess it was a couple years after we'd been here, but he was about four years old. I had him up in the front and, uh, you know, canoeing, really the power's coming in the back. He was no help. He was just up there. Now things would be different today. But anyways, at that point, and here's what we were trying to do. I was trying to make as much use of this river as we could. So I was going upstream to float back down. Well, uh, if you've ever done that, you know, you kind of get out of the current, the current's strong. So we're hugging the bank as close as we can without scraping bottom. We'd go up this far, but then the, the river would shift. And so we'd have to go across the current and get to the other side. And, and then we did that several times. And, and I kid you not, what well, took us about maybe 45 minutes to an hour to get upstream, took us about 10 to 15 minutes 
to get back down. Because I did not realize just how strong the current was until I started to go against it. As I go across, you know, when that current's flowing, you're kind of making your way. I knew I was losing ground, but I just, I just kept paddling and he kept beating the water up front, right? And so we were trying to keep with it, you know, trying to keep gaining ground, all right? Uh, last summer, uh, this past summer, we took a vacation up in the Wisconsin area, Shatek, uh, uh, there's lakes right around there. And so anyways, we had a pontoon, we're out. I grew up crappie fishing and uh, my dad, you know, mainly was the one responsible for getting us into some stick-ups. So if you, I'm speaking a little bit of country right here. Everybody with me? All right. So some stick-ups, that's where you fish crappie. And, and so um, evidently, Shatek had a, a tornado came through and, and uh, had a bunch of uh, down debris and everything that was in the, in the lake. And so there's a bunch of stick-ups. So I wasn't the one that normally would operate the boat. And so the, I'm, I'm not great at all that. I, I had my fair share of it as a teenager and such with my dad, but mainly he was the one that would navigate all that. And he definitely was the one that would drop anchor. And so I was really on new ground, but I wasn't going to tell the family that, that I was uh, new, relatively new to this. So I dropped anchor. In fact, I thought I'm going to make this sure. And I dropped it in the front and I dropped one in the back. And we got to fishing and, 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 and uh, caught no fishes, but none, nonetheless, uh, there we were, but here's, here's the difference. I didn't realize that we were drifting until I started to pull up anchor and actually I couldn't. Evidently we had drifted enough to where we, we got either in the, in the arm of one of those branches. I, I, have, I have no idea because I couldn't tell, but I started to pull up that anchor. And this is on a rented pontoon and I'm stuck. And then I hear scraping underneath the boat, indicating that I'm also on top of a log of some sort. And, and I mean, I, I am just panicky and try to get that loose. And fortunately, some fishermen much more experienced than I came over and helped the poor boy, <laughs> helped the poor man and loosed, loosed it, got it, got it loose. But here, here's the thing, in both of those situations, in both the canoeing as well as the pontooning. I knew, on one hand, I, I knew that I was drifting with the canoe. I wasn't paying attention with the pontoon. In both scenarios, I was drifting. One, I recognized that I was drifting and I was fighting it. In the other, I did not realize I was drifting, but I was drifting and I wasn't fighting it and I got in a real bad situation. You and I as believers today are in danger of drifting. And you're either aware of that and you're continuing to fight to try to fight against the drift or you're drifting and you don't even realize it. That's what the writer here is addressing. Now I'm going to apply this to those that maybe are here today and don't know Jesus as Savior because we always endeavor to do that. We want to, especially on a Sunday morning to try to address everybody that's here and, and call attention to that. But, but listen, friend, uh, here Paul is, I, I believe it to be Paul, and that's, I'm not going to say a lot more about that. We've already dealt with that, but I, I believe he's addressing them and he's saying, listen, I, I want to tell you, I want to alert you to this, that as a believer, you are in danger of drifting spiritually. 
In fact, uh, William Barclay said it well this way. He said, it's an avid picture of a ship drifting to destruction because the pilot is asleep. For most of us, he says, the threat of life is not so much that we would or should plunge into disaster, but that we should drift into sin. There are a few people, he goes on, to say who deliberately and in a moment turn their backs on God. But there are many who day by day drift further and further away from him. There are not many and who want, in one moment of time commit some disastrous sin. There are many, though, who almost imperceptibly, they're not even perceiving, involve themselves in some situation and suddenly awake to find that they've ruined life for themselves and broken someone else's heart. We must continually be on the alert against what he called the peril of drifting. The peril of drifting. The writer here is, is seeking to help them against that drift. And in their situation, they were prone to drift back into Judaism, back into the law, back to the sacrifices, back to the temple, back to the priesthood. The main issue here that we've been looking at is drifting away from what they had heard. Drifting away from what they had heard. Now, he makes that case in chapter 2, having made it also in chapter number 1. As we've already mentioned, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past. Spake, did you hear that? He spake in times past, and he has spoken today in these last days by his Son. So the real issue here is one of revelation. We could say it that way, what God has revealed to us in his word. And so he's saying here, God has spoken to you. Yes, he did speak during the days of Moses and of the law and of those things that were taking place then. But now he has spoken to us by his son. Why go back? That's his basic point. Why go back? Well, we would do well to understand that they were struggling with going back. Their homes, they'd been scattered uh, across Judea. Samaria, Galilee in that area, even in, in Asia Minor. And they were prone to go back because now there was a lot of persecution coming against them as believers. They held to the authority of Moses and certainly that makes good sense and the law and God would still use the law. But by the way, he never intended to use the law to bring them and to such a place where they could keep the law to see themselves saved. No, that was never God's intention. In fact, the law would serve in this way, to show them and to show us that we can't save ourselves. That's what he intended to do. It's a great possibility, given Acts chapter number six, that a good number of these recipients of the letter at one time were priests themselves. In fact, I'd like to read and you know, have to turn there, but it says that the word of God increased in Acts chapter six, the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. In other words, a lot of, a lot of people were saved in Jerusalem. And he says, Luke gives record, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. 
So it could even be, because that's chapter six, and then at the end of chapter six, you have the persecution that's ramping up in the case of Stephen, uh, the first martyr that's there, and then chapter seven, chapter eight, chapter nine, Paul is breathing out threatenings. And so no doubt some of these that were the recipients of this letter were some of those that had been scattered because of the persecution. First Peter, or Peter would write that in First Peter chapter number one to the, to the saints that are scattered abroad and the, the Jewish believers that are scattered abroad there. So they were prone to go back. But the writer here is making the, the, the case, why go back when what you have is superior to what you had then? And chapter one and chapter two deals with that which involved angelic beings. Now, I don't think, and I, I'm trying to review this as quickly as I can, but to bring everybody up to speed, that I don't think that what is being dealt with here is their, their tendency to worship angels. That's not it at all. But rather that the angelic beings, according to Deuteronomy 33, according to Acts and chapter uh, number seven in, in Paul's, in, in Peter's words and in other places, it makes it evident. Galatians chapter three, at Mount Sinai, as, as God's glory was on the mountain, angelic beings were also there. So angels, watch this now, were associated with the giving of the law. And so that's why Paul is here dealing with the superiority of Jesus to the angels. And my soul, haven't we had a good time seeing just how supreme Jesus is above the angelic beings. They indeed worship him. He is the son of God. He's identified as the one seated at the right hand of the father on high. Angels are before the throne. They don't sit on the throne. He is the creator. They are created. Jesus is not created. Jesus is the creator. He will be victorious over all the earth. Hey, I just preached chapter one in about two, 20 seconds. It took three weeks to really delve into it. But basically he's making this point. He's eternal. They are not. He's sovereign. They are ruled. They are servants. He is God. They are not. He's superior. So based on who he is and based on what he said and based on the revelation of God, hey, you need to take the more earnest heed lest at any time you let this word slip. Lest you find yourself in a place of compromise. Lest you start drifting away from what you have been taught. And so... Chapter two opens up with some exhortation because those that have received the word should never depart from the word. Some of you have been blessed to be raised in church. And if you're not careful, what your challenge today could be to say things like this in your mind. I've already heard that account. I've already heard that story. I've already heard that verse preached. I've already heard those things before. Hey, you need to take, the Bible says, listen now, take the more earnest heed. Take the more earnest heed, not the more less. In fact, could we make a case today, given the strong current of our society, that we ought to apply this in a real way to take the more earnest heed as believers living in the United States of America? That I am so prone and you are so prone to end up somewhere you never dreamed, friend, that you would end up. You say, that won't happen to me. Oh, friend, listen, you're underestimating the power of the current and you don't realize how strong that current is until you start going against it. 
And so the writer here is saying you need to take the more earnest heed. Those, listen, those that have been blessed to have heard, those that have been blessed to hear should not stop listening. Here we are getting ready to have a a missions conference because the vast majority of our world is still yet to hear. Woe unto you, woe unto us if we get to the place where we take the word of God for granted. Those that have heard should not stop listening. In fact, he says they should give the more earnest so much the more with extreme, listen to this word, with extreme care. I'm saying to you today, believer, that you better take extreme care. Doesn't matter how long you've been saved, doesn't matter what class you teach, doesn't matter if you've been a pastor, does not matter if you are the pastor. Did you notice the verbiage that he used? We, therefore, we ought to take the more earnest heed. Anybody here exempt from that? No, we, we, Southwest Baptist Church, we ought to take the more earnest heed. The more earnest heed, it's interesting, the the word heed is even a possible nautical term. I didn't know that until I got into the study of it, but it literally means, you know, like it's used of beware. I guess that's what I'm doing here today, isn't it? I'm saying to everybody here, hey, hey, beware, beware. Bible college student, beware. Deacons, beware. Church staff, beware. Hey, all of us, beware. Because you can let these things slide. You can begin to drift away. He says, take heed, turn your minds to this. That's the idea. Turn your mind to it. Turn your mind to it. You know what? I I know what it's like being in church service and even looking at the preacher like you are. I'm just looking around making sure everybody is right here. This is a good chance, opportunity to just kind of check things out a little bit. But I know what it's like to be looking at him and looking through him. Just like you're in a glaze. That's the reason I stop every now and then just to wake us up from the stupefaction of a Sunday morning nap. We're all prone to it. I mean, I enjoy hearing Brother Sam preach, but I used to sit right there where Brother Aaron is and struggle with going to sleep on Sunday morning. You know how bad it is sitting up here going to sleep? Terrible. With live stream going, terrible. Talk about need to take more earnest heed. But it's deeper than that, isn't it? It's deeper than that. It's that I need the Word of God. I'm prone to wickedness, aren't you? I'm prone to pride. I'm prone to being selfish. And wherewithal shall a young man or an old man for that matter, or a young lady or an older lady for that matter, cleanse their ways, but by taking heed to thy word. Oh, we need the word of God in our lives. And not get used to it, not take it for granted and kind of get into a neutral zone. No, listen, we need to be engaged when we come to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and be hungry for the Word of God. And I'm telling you, if you've been hungering for the Word of God Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and all the other weeks of the days of the week and you come to church saying, ah, it's not like I got too much this week. No, I need more. I need more. Take heed. 
Take heed this morning, pastor's son, pastor's daughter. Take heed, preacher's son, preacher's daughter. You listen to me here this morning. Take heed, those that have grown up in church. Because he said, we are prone to slide. We are prone to this. But the word, back, back to that. That was all just getting your attention again. Take heed means this, set your mind on it. Turn your attention to it. The nautical side of this would be like setting your sights on the dock and moving that direction with the boat. That's the idea. It's used outside the world of the Bible about how that those fishermen would set their eyes on a certain point and begin to make their way there safely as they would focus on where they were supposed to go. I'm thinking about times back, sorry, I'm having so many flashbacks about being with my dad on the water, but I'm thinking about times when, when I'd drop him off and he'd go get the truck and trailer and back it in and, and then I'm out there and, and he's wanting me to line the boat up, you know, onto that trailer and, and man, you just got to focus on that, on that trailer and not, not focus over here, not focus over there, but you got to be focused right there and if you focus in the right place and you make the adjustments, you'll get where you need to be. You know what happens in the life of a lot of believers, all of us included, is we can get our eyes off over here and over there and away from the Word. Hey, listen, the Word will bring you safely on your journey. It says, take heed. We, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed, lest at any time, he says, lest at any time, in any place in your life, lest at any time, we should let them slip. This word slip, as we've already covered, uh, a good part already means to flow by, slip from one's memory. It can mean that. But everybody that I read after in terms of dictionaries and lexicons all indicated that it'd be like a ship drifting away from its anchor point or having no anchor. But the idea is this. He's warning them using this term, lest they should gradually drift away from the truth. Gradually drift away from the truth. Now it could be used this way of an unbelieving Jew that, that they passed Jesus up as their Messiah. He came to his own and his own received him not. They passed on by him. Hey, hey, wait a minute. He was their harbor he was their safe haven. He was their Messiah, their Savior, and he wants to be yours, or he is yours if you are saved. But many today pass on by and drift on by in life's troubled sea without a Savior. But I'm thankful today that he's available to save anybody that's here today. And your life may be storm-tossed, but he invites you to come. And that's certainly the idea here is that he, he invited them, but, but it's easy to let things slide. I encourage you this morning, don't let the significance of our Savior slide right by you while you're sitting there in the pew. He says, beware lest you let these things slip. And then he goes on to explain the reasons as to why that is. And it really does fall into basically two categories in verses one, uh, two, three, and four. Would you follow along with me here uh, once again? He, he reasons with them from the lesser to the greater. Okay, from the lesser to the greater. The lesser would be the word that had been delivered or involved angels there at Mount Sinai, the law, but the greater would be his son. Okay, so look at verse two again, if you would. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, 
And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of the reward. Okay, let's stop right there. What's he saying right there? He's saying this. Um, God has been known to have dealt very severely with sin and sinners. He has been known in the Old Testament to deliver a just or a deserved recompense of reward. In other words, he does not take sin lightly. I'm reading through the book of Numbers right now, or did. I'm into Deuteronomy like many of you right now. And, and in the book of Numbers, did he not take sin very seriously? Did he not take very seriously when he told them to go into the land in chapter number 13? And yet they said, but we be like grasshoppers in their sight. And they disobeyed the word of God. They transgressed the word of God. Listen to this. The word disobedience there is interesting because it literally means this. They refused to listen to what he had to say. Paul is saying here, listen, does it not stand to reason that God held them accountable for what he told them then? Chapter 16, they, Korah in the rebellion of Korah and Dathan and others, as they stood up against Moses, did not God take them seriously there in that rebellion? In chapter 21, when they were complaining about what they had to eat at the calf, <laughs> the desert, when they were complaining about what, what they had to eat, when they were complaining about how hard things were, and they were complaining about this and complaining about that, did not God send serpents among them? And did he not in the fornication where they were with Moabitish women and they seduced them and the men were committing adultery and fornication with these Moabitish women, did not God deal with their fornication? The answer is very clearly yes. So if God dealt with them then, and that was the word of angels, how much more, friend, do you think he will let you go? And who has the revelation of his son? Oh, but preacher, we're in the days of grace, friend. We can, we can, we can free from the law, oh, happy condition. Now we can sin with Jesus' permission. Somebody's tried to rewrite that song, right? No, friend, it's not free from the law, happy condition. Now we can sit with Jesus' permission. No, Jesus has died and there is remission. It's forgiven us. Hey, listen, what, what he's getting across right here is, listen, you need to be careful lest you let these things slide because you can kind of get in your mind that we're in a new age and we can live how we want to. No, he's still a holy and a righteous God that judges sin and unrighteousness. He still deals with those that don't want to listen to him. You cannot sin against God without consequence. You couldn't back then and you cannot today. And so he says, if that's how it was then, and this is how it is now, how, friend, listen, would you reason with me just a few moments here? How then, friend, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How shall we escape? Do you see what he's doing? How shall we escape? Who's he writing to? Who's he speaking to? Believers or unbelievers? Believers? Believers? You say, wait a minute, preacher, I, what about this verse here? I thought that, that, you know, it was applied to neglecting God's salvation about, about being saved. Well, certainly that could be applied to it, I think, secondarily. And, and, and the Bible presents this. You see that a believer is saved from sin, but watch this also through sanctification work of the Holy Spirit of God, using the Word of God to cleanse us. We are being saved from the controlling power of sin today. 
and praise His holy name, someday when He comes and takes us home either by death or by His return, we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. But he says right here, if these things are so and they are, and the word of angels was steadfast and true, and God dealt with their transgression, and God dealt with their disobedience, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Salvation from what? Well, verse 2, he's talking about the, the just recompense of reward. That God will deal with his people. Who did God deal with there in the wilderness as he brought the, brought the serpents upon them and he dealt with them according to their fornication and so forth? Was he not dealing with his very people Israel? Yes, he was. What's he saying here? Well, he does not elaborate on what that would look like today, though he shall in coming chapters. But right here, he's just simply reasoning with them, listen, don't, don't drift away spiritually and think that somehow it won't have a consequence in your life. Now, I want to be very clear right here because in no wise is the writer saying that you as a believer are in jeopardy of losing salvation. Not chapter 2, not chapter 6, not chapter 10, not chapter 12. None of these warning passages warn us about losing salvation. Because that would contradict the whole New Testament and that would contradict the concept and the truth of saving grace because we are saved by grace through faith apart from works. I don't do anything to get saved. You don't do anything to get saved other than just simply trust what he did in simple faith and belief in Jesus because it is truly a work of grace. I don't do anything. You don't do anything to be saved and you don't do anything to stay saved. That's not what he's saying. The word neglect, I, I, didn't, I, I don't want to neglect to deal with neglect. The word neglect there has this idea. Listen, being unconcerned. To not think about. To pay no attention to. It's used in Matthew 22, 5, that they made light of it. The king's invitation to come to the supper. They made light of it. They said, hey, they said, ah, it's no big deal. How shall we escape? Escape what? Escape God's chastening of the believer? How shall we escape the consequences of sin? Does anybody follow me right here? Is this right on? Doesn't sin still have consequences? And he's saying, how shall we escape if we make light of the consequences against sin? Against going back or going on in your life without God? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Now, I, I, again, I think that it certainly can be applied to people that are lost. And I would say to you today, listen, friend, if you're here today and you're not saved, 
There is no escape without the salvation that Jesus spoke to us about in himself. When he said that he is the way, the truth, and life, and no man cometh to the Father but by him, there is no other way for you to be saved. And even as an unbeliever, you can refuse to try to think about that. You can change the subject when somebody brings it up and it gets a little bit uncomfortable. You can avoid church people as much as you may try. But you cannot avoid the God in heaven who loves you and wants to save you. And you can act like you don't care. You can slump down in your pew. I've seen plenty of people do that, or teenagers in particular, just kind of slump down and say, yeah, whatever, preacher. But I'm telling you, you cannot escape without his salvation. That is very true right there. You can't put it off for another day. You can try to do that, but you cannot escape the fact that you need to be saved. You can devise your own means of salvation, but that would not be a means of escape. You may not like to hear it. You may try to find another church where they'll tell you something that'll make you feel a little bit better about yourself. But listen, here's what you need. You need to know that you're a sinner and he's a savior and he'll save you today if you'll trust him as your savior. But he's writing primarily here to believers who are in danger of drifting out of God's will. And the reason that he addressed them about that then and why we are considering it here today is that you cannot disregard what God said without consequence. You cannot. I cannot. We cannot disregard what God said without consequences. Warren Wiersbe said more spiritual problems are caused in the life of a believer by neglect than perhaps any other failure on our part. I've seen it happen. You start to get out of the word. It might go like this. Miss my Bible reading. Day one. You know what y'all do right there? Get back to it. Day two. Started missing church. You know how people get out of church? They miss church. <laughs> Did you ever think of that, Brother Ted? You know how you get out of church? You miss one service. And you think, eh, nobody called me. I'm going to miss another one. Nobody called me. Nobody cares about me down there at that church. <laughs> Come back and find out. Fine. Away from Bible reading, away from prayer. Away from other believers. Hey, hey, listen for that's a dangerous place to be. Away from other believers out there, because don't don't forget this, you're not in just like kind of some kind of a neutral zone right there. No, you listen to this? You're not in some kind of a neutral zone right there. No, you're in the current of a culture that is anti-God, anti-morality, anti-truth. And you're in this culture and you're drifting and drifting and, and drifting away and maybe even got bitter towards people back there and, and upset about this or that and you're complaining and you're drifting. Now listen, you could be drifting, but maybe you realize that you're drifting. Let me ask you this. Are you still paddling? Are you still paddling? 
It's one thing to recognize that you're drifting and realize and say, hey, family, we got to get back in church here. Hey, we've been out of the Bible. We got to get back in the Bible. I've been out of prayer. I got to get back in prayer and just keep fighting for it. Just keep fighting for it because it's worth it. There's a culture that wants to take you down. You got an enemy of your soul, dear friend, that wants to take you down. But you got a heavenly father that loves you and wants to encourage you. And even if you are drifting, don't stop paddling because you'll go further back. It's one thing to know you're drifting and do something about it. It's another thing not even to realize you're drifting until you get hung up. Because you cannot disregard what God has said without consequence. You can't disregard what God said about sinful activity without consequence. You cannot neglect what God has said about purity. Let me get a little bit more specific here. We're doing all right? You can't. You cannot disregard what God said about fornication without consequence. You can't. You can't. You can't. You can't do it. Hey, hey, wake up. Awake to righteousness, Paul said in another place. Awake to, you you know, listen, you cannot. You say, well, that pornography is not hurting anybody. It's hurting you. It's hurting you. You know it is. It's hurting you and it's hurting your effectiveness in serving him and affecting, uh, hurting your effectiveness in serving him. It's hurting this church, hurting your family. You cannot, you cannot disregard, well, what did God say about it? Well, Jesus very plainly said, you look upon a woman and lust after her in your heart, you've, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. That's, what, that's not what an angel said. That's not even just what a prophet said. That's what Jesus said. And if in the days when the angels developed that and delivered God's judgment upon them and God used prophets to, to deliver judgment upon the people back then in the Old Testament, what makes you think that he's going to be okay with your fornication today? In the days when he's spoken to us by his son who said that looking with lust is fornication who also spoke against homosexuality and spoke against adultery and spoke against debauched living and spoke against drinking and spoke against lying and spoke against dishonesty and spoke against duplicity and spoke against anger and spoke against unrighteousness of every type. That's what Jesus said. And you cannot, you cannot disregard what he said without consequence. It may be that you're all hung up. You may be in a financial bind because you've been neglecting what Jesus said about tithing and about giving. He said, man, I knew he was going to work that in there somehow, some way. Hey, you can't, you can't neglect what the word says about financial responsibility. You can't, re- you can't neglect what God said about about marriage and family life and all the other things that you just can't. You're going to end up on a log jam somewhere and wondering how in the world are we going to get out of that? And thank God somebody can come to your aid. Be able to get you out of that. 
Hey, listen, I, I hope this isn't coming across in any kind of an ill way in the sense that you're thinking, man, I'm done for. No, listen, this is God reaching out to you through his word saying, hey, I care about you enough to tell you, you are drifting and you need to do something about it. And maybe he's sending somebody to get you off that jam today. But you need to get deep down in your soul that I need to listen up and take the more earnest heed and stop neglecting my personal time with God and think it's going to help my spiritual life or neglect the time that I have with my family at church and think it's going to help my spiritual life. Friend, it will not. You're drifting. You're drifting. And God's getting your attention today because he loves you. Let's stand together here this morning. How shall we escape? Is there any other way out of this? Nope. There's not another way. Only way to be saved is through Jesus. Only way to be delivered from sin and the binding effects of sin and guilt and shame and overwhelming nature of it is only still through Jesus. Only way out of this world into heaven is through him. How shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation. Well, the flip side of that would be obvious. If neglect means not to think about it, not to regard it, not to pay any attention to it, then the opposite side of that would be this. Think about it. Give attention to it. Don't be apathetic about it. Regard it rather than disregard it. Father, Thank you for loving us so much that you've warned us in this text about the dangers of drifting. The current of culture is so strong. I would imagine, God, that all of us that have been saved any length of time would recognize even just the current of our own flesh going against it is so strong. Identify with David today who prayed, I am weak. So God, help us against drifting the word that you've given us, the revelation of your son, who he is and what he came to do and what he said to us, all apply here. Thank you that through Jesus, we have an anchor of the soul. And so I pray today, God, that you'd help some drifting believer, somebody that's drifted away from you out of fellowship with you or drifted into sin. God, I pray you'd help those they didn't intend to get where they are spiritually, but here they are. God, would you help them? Please help. And those that maybe are just beginning to drift, even just slightly, oh God, would you please arrest their attention too. Thank you for speaking to me from this account, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.